Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Gazella! Yay! Yay! And we have another great episode for you. It is part three of our series on Timothy McVeigh. Um, I'm going to give everyone a bit of a warning, in case you didn't guess, this one gets sad yeah there is a lot of uh of 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 horrible shit that happens and so i just want everyone to be aware of what you're getting yourself into um secondly uh we have a little bit of news the first news is that of course we have a patreon you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast um but andrea has some news of her own to share with us Hey guys, uh, as you know, I'm an artist. I make art things. Um, Wait, what? What? <laughs> what do you make art with? How do you art? Mostly with my hands. Uh, sometimes my feet if I'm feeling weird. But <laughs> That's just for the OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about how I can maybe use the art that I make to do something positive. So I am going to be releasing limited edition t-shirts that feature a, pa- a painting I made a while ago, and it is a panther with fire coming out of its eyes and flowers coming out of its mouth. And those are going to be printed on t-shirts, and all of the profits from that will go to the ACLU. Um, in terms of sourcing, the t-shirts are 100% sweatshop free, um, and the printers are going to be a local POC-owned business. Yeah, they're also nice people who treat their employees nicely, which I love. Yeah. Uh, Armando used to work there, so at, from everything I've heard about them, I'm like, okay, this is a place that I want to give my money to and I want to support. Um, and all of the, if you order a shirt, all of the shirts will be shipped using the U.S. Postal Service. So all around, your money is going to a lot of good places, and you'll have a cool shirt in the bargain. Um, if you're interested in that, I'm probably going to be posting something about it this week on my Instagram at Andrea Gazetta, and also in the Facebook group so go ahead and check that out and you should definitely check out the painting it is amazing not only are you going to be helping a bunch of awesome companies and supporting an amazing cause but you will be getting one hell of a good product it is a it is a very awesome shirt and i can't wait to have one for myself that is one of my favorite paintings i'm very excited Yeah, I'm excited about it. I also want to just mention, this is the only time I'm going to do this. So if you want this shirt, get it now, baby. Um, And I think without any further ado, let's get into the show. Hello. 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 Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as... Organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these these are are our opinions. opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us, we have Andrea Cassetta. Yay! Yay! And it's Armando's Week. 
Hello? Hi? Uh, I've, if you've noticed uh, a, a, a different tone in my voice, it's because I think uh, I'm the most rested you could possibly be. Um, <laughs> last night, I accidentally dosed myself with an extremely high... Uh, <laughs> An extremely high dosage of THC oil that I thought was CBD oil. Um, so <laughs> I filled a I filled a whole dropper with it, like a whole bunch Holy of it. Holy shit! Yeah, which is like four times the recommended dosage. <laughs> yeah, it was about four to four times the recommended dosage, and I put it under my tongue, which is how oh you get it God. to kick in faster. Um, and then for over the next few hours, I didn't know what was happening to me as I just progressively got more and more high. Uh, and it just like, I, I was certain that I had coronavirus. Uh, he kept making me take his temperature and feel his forehead. And then he was trying to say a sentence and it wasn't a sentence. I was like, I think you need a nap, buddy. And he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> But the funnest part for me was eventually I realized what was going on. I was like, oh, my God, I took weed. I'm just high. And then I felt like Neo in the Matrix where, like, suddenly it was my world. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I just know that I sent you roast jokes to proofread for the roast that I did versus a British person. And what I got back <laughs> was just all caps yelling about how you hate the British. And it was the funniest thing. And then it extended into this morning where when you woke up no longer high, you just continued to text me all caps criticisms of the British. Yeah, I want to be clear. None of these criticisms are even politically valid. It's just a bunch of me saying like, how does that tea taste, bitch? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just know that... You had started out like proofreading a joke. First, you did send me an amazing joke that I didn't get to use. That mm -hmm. I'm going to hold on to for another day. Uh, but you started out with like a premise I had of like his mom is white and his dad is Muslim. And then it was just all caps of like, you motherfucking weird teeth. Mother <laughs> I was just like, that's not even what are you talking about? The worst part was eventually I Googled the guy you were roasting and I saw his teeth and I was like, damn, pretty good teeth. He's got great teeth. Great, great, great teeth. teeth. Thanks, Aziz. Great battle. Uh, so, yeah. So that's what happened to me. I accidentally dosed myself with marijuana for the first time. Um, <laughs> I mean, I did it for the first time on accident because every other time it's been very it's purposeful. It's been very intentional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the complaint in this house is often, I'm doing so much weed, but I can't get high. What the hell? Yeah. So I, <laughs> it was an odd turn of events. I've come up with a new game that I call uh, Weed Roulette, and you basically just make <laughs> a batch of regular brownies and then one really strong weed brownie. I have been over when you played this game, and you guys gave me regular brownies, and do you remember how many times I asked and made sure that they were regular brownies? Yeah, I mean, I remember at one point, too, I was like, oh, wait a second. And I just saw fear on your face. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> uh, today, we are covering the end of Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, this is episode three. I don't know why I'm explaining it like that. I'm sure you've noticed by the title. <laughs> I hope you've listened to the other two episodes. Otherwise, this is going to make not very much sense. The conclusion may surprise you. It turns out <laughs> it was all fine. No, 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 it was no. not. Number 14, Bad Company by Bad Company from the album Bad Company. 
so before we get into it i have some sources for y'all uh first of all is the several articles i read on white supremacy by the anti-defamation league um I'm just putting them as a source in general because I cannot tell you how many articles I've read. I swear to God, if I listed out every single one, um, that would just be the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) Next, we have the book American Terrorist, written by Dan Herbeck and Lou Michael. Uh, We also have the documentary Oklahoma City, directed by Brock Goodman. Both that book and that movie are probably the best sources. So if you do want extra information on anything that I'm talking about, if you like reading, read the book American Terrorist. Um, If books are for fucking British nerds... uh, (laughs) It's so specific. Then watch a documentary, fucking American. (laughs) (laughs) The documentary, again, is Oklahoma City, directed by Brock Goodman. And last and definitely least, we have The Turner Diaries by William Luther Pierce. Boo. So we're picking our story back up in the winter of 1992. I was five, four. (laughs) I remember 1992. I was in kindergarten. I did a school report on pigs. I was angry because my brother was born. (laughs) That beats mine. I was just going to tell you how many teeth a pig have, but go ahead. (laughs) Probably the same amount as Andrea's pig-faced fucking brother. Anyway, so so we're picking our story back up in the winter of 1992. It's been about a year since Timothy McVeigh decided to leave the army, and things have not been going well for him. With nowhere else to go... He moved back into his dad's house, but since his 17-year-old sister had taken over his old room, the 24-year-old veteran was forced to sleep on the couch. Oh, yikes. Yeah. I mean, if you give him a true crime podcast, he's basically me for that whole year that I just slept on people's (laughs) couches. You mean the first year of this podcast? Yeah, exactly. What I'm saying is that me and Timothy McVeigh aren't really that... Oh, ooh. Oh, no. Bad company. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, really quick. I just want to say something about Bad Company because I did listen to it on repeat constantly while writing this episode to, like, (laughs) get into the vibe. If you listen to Bad Company nonstop for three days straight, you will only get advertisements for the army i don't know (laughs) i don't know if that's on purpose but every single advertisement the only two things i've been looking up recently is like bad company and like american military war crimes and the army was like (laughs) pretty cool right Wow, I I have the opposite issue where I've been retweeting a lot of Black Lives Matter posts and I've been doing my podcast with Crystal and now I get almost exclusively ads for black hair products. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm I'm just I'm going to mark all of these relevant and like all of them for greater <laughs> proliferation. S- secondly, and I I I don't know if this is going to be a revelation to anyone else other than me. Um, but after about the 37th time of listening to bad company in a row, I did realize that what he's saying is that the narrator of the song is literally bad company. He's like, I'm a piece of shit. You don't want to hang out near me. I'm pretty bad to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point of the song, which makes so much sense that Timothy so deeply connected (laughs) with the theme and message of that track. I mean, what makes me sad is that if he had just waited 10 years, he could have listened to 50 Cent's 
P-I-M-P instead. Ooh, yeah. Which be- is effectively a similar song. I don't know what you heard about me, but I'm bad company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Mr. Scent, if we could get you on this, if we could get you on this remix, I would be more than happy. I don't know what you heard about me. Insurgents can't get a bullet out of me. We driving in this here Bradley, painted on the side by company. Uh, it's bad. It's all bad. It's so bad. Unlike 50 Cent, though, Timothy McVeigh is a 24-year-old veteran sleeping on his dad's couch. Uh, it was only supposed to be temporary, just until he could find another good job. But he never really seemed to find a good job. Although it wasn't for a lack of trying, he sent in applications to the U.S. Marshals, the Sheriff's Department, and the Police Department. It's just that nobody called him back. I mean, I feel like this is the first time the Police Department got an application from a well-qualified racist and was like, nah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not even his old boss at the armored car service wanted him to come work for him. Wow, that I mean, I'm kind of surprised. Like, I, I know that sound. I don't mean to be like he should have been hired, uh, but I do look at it as like he has a good resume. You know, he worked for the armored car. He was in the army. You know, so. Uh, Timothy also felt a similar way. Like, he couldn't understand why nobody wanted to hire him. Um, But from what I was able to read, it was basically because of two kind of common problems. The first problem is that, um, I don't mean this in a mean way at all, but serving in the military is not the same as going to college. And what I mean by that is, again, as far as I understand, some military training can count towards college credits. But a majority of time in the military is not the same. Well, you also you have to like enroll in a college program to get those credits. So you still have to go to college for it to count as college. Exactly. Exactly. And secondly, for some veterans, especially those who, uh, you know, fight in wars, it's not always uh, easy to explain what your job description is to civilians. It's not impossible to describe what you did. It's just, you know, it takes a bit of translating. For example, Timothy could have mentioned the leadership skills he got as a sergeant or the attention to detail he picked up during boot camp. But instead, his resume was full of shit like Killing Machine 1988 to present. (laughs) Okay, that's probably, I would say that explains the no callbacks. Yeah. It's kind of weird when, like, under skills, you put one-man death machine from Germany. That's like if I just put sarcastic bitch on my resume (laughs) for the time that we've been doing the podcast. (laughs) Sarcastic bitch, 1987 to present. Oh, man. I got to start putting that on stuff. (laughs) (laughs) eventually though he did find something a position as a nighttime security guard at the buffalo zoo 
which sounds like a zoo for only buffaloes, but according to their official website, they don't even have one buffalo. That's a real <laughs> fact, okay? I thought I thought the same thing when you said it. I was like, is this like Arizona where it's mostly <laughs> one kind of animal? And then I was like, no, idiot. It's in Buffalo, New York. That's why. I didn't know Arizona existed, and now I gotta go. Did I not tell you about Arizona? No! That's so awesome! Is that iced tea for bears? No, it's on the way to the Grand Canyon. It's near Flagstaff. And so you stay in your car and you drive through and there's bears just like next to your car. But then they have buffalo and like a bunch of other animals. And it's like a wildlife preserve. Super fun. Ooh. Highly recommend. I This is the part of my research where I started reading it and I was like a little bit upset that Timothy McVeigh didn't just get more into animals because then we would have just had Timothy Exotic. And honestly... <laughs> Same <laughs> amount of guns. Yeah. Although, again, I am pretty glad that he wasn't because if he if he was into animals, uh, Joe would have been like, somebody's got to kill Carol Baskins. And Timothy was like, okay. <laughs> I have darkness inside my soul. That is what he was able to do. He got a job as a nighttime security, uh, essentially what we would call a rent-a-cop at uh, the local zoo. That's my favorite term for mall cops. Yeah, especially for somebody like Timothy McVeigh, who's like, you will respect my authority. And there's just like a fucking tiger who's like, I'll rip you to fucking shreds, man. I don't give a shit. Let's do this. I got a taste for husbands, man. I'll fucking rip you to shreds. But the job didn't pay very much, and also to make things worse, Tim had picked up an expensive new habit. Gambling. I thought you were going to say collecting tigers, and I was like, is this about to get great? But no. <laughs> What's his jacket situation? How many rhinestones? Oh what are we talking about? Does he have a special paramedics jacket? These are the questions. Hello, you cool cats and kittens. It's me, Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. You might remember from last week that Timothy McVeigh was a wizard when it came to counting cards. But for some unknown reason, Timothy started believing that cards were boring. He didn't just want to win money. He wanted to feel like a badass doing it. And ironically, he picked the least badass form of gambling. He started betting on football games. Oh. Who are you, my dad? Yeah, right? <laughs> what the Who hell? Who are you? All the guys I went to college with who had fantasy leagues that then moved them online? Yeah, he was like, I got to be the most badass person there is, a fantasy football commissioner. This is like the most unfunny version of the league ever. <laughs> yeah. Where is El Cañado? Now, this, this is a very, very, very bad idea, mostly because so far we've covered pretty extensive how fucking little he seems to know about sports. Every time Tim lost a bet, he'd go double or nothing on the next game. No! No! And soon what started as a playful wager quickly grew into actual debt. By the end of the NFL season in January of 1993, Tim owed his bookie $1,000 in cash. And to make it all back, he went double or nothing on the Buffalo Bills winning the Super Bowl. They lost 52 to 17. Oh my God. <laughs> ah, 
I do want to say that if I had gone double or nothing on my fantasy league when Trixie Mattel lost in her original season, I would have made an ass load of money when she came back and what like won all stars. But damn, you know, that's what he should have been doing. Tim should have been betting on drag <laughs> race. <laughs> yeah, betting on RuPaul's drag race. Yeah, exactly. He could have figured it out. Times were pretty tough for Timothy and local softball legend Bill McVeigh noticed this. Son, I've seen your bookie at our games. You realize that this is just regional softball and nothing <laughs> you should be putting money towards. The thing is, is like betting in that way, especially is something that people who think they're smarter than everyone else do all the time. Because to them, they're like, it's free money because I'm, of course, I'm going to win because I'm the best. And so if you have that megalomaniac sort of idea of yourself, those are the people that are betting like idiots. See, this is why I don't gamble because I'm one of those people that sees how much I could potentially win and I start spending it in my head before I have the money. So it's one of those things where I'll walk up to a slot machine and then $100 is just gone. And you're just like, uh damn it so yeah i don't gamble gambling for me could be a very dangerous vice that's why i make the choice to be broke <laughs> it's, a, it's a preemptive strategy <laughs> uh, so softball legend bill mcveigh notices that his son was going through a rough patch but he just didn't know what to do about it mostly because tim straight up refused to take any amount of accountability for his actions he was broke because he had a gambling addiction and a minimum wage job. And those two things don't really mix. I mean, there's not much you can do about a gutter ball, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But according to Tim, it wasn't his fault that he had hit rock bottom. Also, in case you're wondering, the reason that he hit rock bottom uh, was because all white people have bony butts. So, I take that very personally. <laughs> this chair is very uncomfortable. <laughs> It, Tim thought that it wasn't his fault he had hit rock bottom. Our cold, uncaring government had put him through an unjust war against Iraq, and now they were using affirmative action to stop him from getting a good job. This or is, you could just hire someone to rewrite your resume, Tim. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. That's true. His resume is a problem. I am going to say that I do think we need to make room for veterans to have more job opportunities and transferable skills get recognized in our workforce uh but you can't just listen to this killing machine i think this one's on tim yeah <laughs> you also i i do want to remind everybody from last week he didn't have to quit the army it was yeah, it was true. like it could have just been his dream job he loved doing it and he just quit because he was a big fucking baby about the whole thing Timothy started fantasizing about escaping the tight grasp of our federal overlords. He wanted to run away to somewhere magical like Arizona and build his dream house, a fallout shelter. <laughs> Messed up. Should have gone to Arizona. <laughs> they feed dog food to bears. It's great. <laughs> I also, I do want to see that uh, Home and Garden Network show where they're just like helping Timothy McVeigh find the perfect fallout shelter <laughs> for his budget of zero dollars. <laughs> Timothy wants to be close to the ocean and downtown and has a budget of zero dollars. <laughs> Which hole in the ground is best for him? 
He decided that if he had a fallout shelter, at least he could survive any attack that the government planned against him. Because, again, something you have to remember, at this point, this wasn't a joke to Tim. It wasn't like a side thing. He was sure that our government was evil. He saw them as the real-life version of the system from the Turner Diaries. In the book, the system attempts to form a new world order that will exterminate the entire white race under the guise of ending racism. And unfortunately for Tim, but lucky for the rest of us, no one really believed him when he spouted this shit off. No one in the real world was willing to hear this racist bullshit and be like, mm, you're making some good points, Tim. Everyone was like, um, Tim, I'm going to tell you this again. Stop talking to the fucking bears, okay? <laughs> Just go back to your rounds and leave the bears alone. However, on February 28th, 1993, Tim finally got the proof he was looking for. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, a.k.a. the most kick-ass 4th of July party. <laughs> I'm be honest, it sounds pretty you mean, bad. You mean, you mean having those things makes it the best 4th of July? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a party. I guess I didn't include fireworks, but... Um, I mean, firearms, like if your arms are just made of fire... I love it. You know what? I bet they have some pretty poppin' ATF parties with all that confiscated shit. They're oh, just yeah. Like... Apparently, the police, conf when they confiscate all those illegal fireworks, they actually set them off the day before the 4th of July. That's actually kind of amazing. Yeah, especially because most of them are just like an eighth of dynamite. <laughs> I was just picturing them having a party with like, I slapped this cup of jungle juice out of a 15 year old's hand at a party. Let's turn up. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were in, in reality, they were known as the ATF or again, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. And on February 28th, 1993, they tried to raid a heavily armed religious compound in the central Texas town of Waco. The compound had been tipped off early, though, so they were ready when the agents arrived. And no one knows who shot first, but by the time the dust settled on the first day, four ATF agents and six Branch Davidians were dead. Surprise, motherfuckers, I'm covering Waco again. Remix! It's the same information, but from... It actually, it's pretty much the same. So anyway, here's Paige's Waco episodes, and then it just starts <laughs> over. For Timothy, this felt like the beginning of the end. As we mentioned last week, the Turner Diaries implies that the last seal to be broken before a quote-unquote racial apocalypse is the taking of guns. And now, on live television, the government was attempting to take guns from its own citizens using deadly force. He knew something had to be done to stop the siege. He just didn't know what that something was but visiting the compound seemed like a good first step. So Tim packed his bags, hopped in his car, and drove south. He was heading for Waco, Texas. This is something we briefly touched on in that episode where he's in footage of the standoff, like in news footage. Like, he's around. He's there, provably. Yeah. We're going to kind of get into um, something that I didn't realize, especially when we were covering it, too, is how differently... Uh, the Waco siege could have ended if Timothy McVeigh had been a little bit more on time with his shit. Uh, it's kind of crazy how, how involved he was in the scene. 
Timothy made his way to the checkpoint by Mount Carmel about a week or two after the initial raid. Because remember, the siege lasted, um, what was it again, 57 days? 50, 51, 51 days. days. Yeah, so it's it's a week or two had passed, and there was still time enough for him to drive all the way to Texas just to check out what was going on. And when he got to the checkpoint by Mount Carmel, he found one of the most beautiful sights he had ever seen protesters were yelling at atf agents telling them to go home excited journalists hovered around waiting desperately to jot down opinions and merchants set up shop to sell literature survival guides and even the occasional gun is basically the world's most racist farmer's market and he was like <laughs> oh this is awesome man they only got the whitest fruits and vegetables like onions and potatoes <laughs> and a bunch of soggy ass bread i love it Excuse me, are these bullets organic? <laughs> I just want to make sure that they're, you know, cruelty-free bullets. So Not only is this sniper rifle long range, it's also free range. So <laughs> Get out of my brain. Let's <laughs> get the same thing. For Tim, this place was like a racist Disneyland or just regular Disneyland. <laughs> And he even bought himself a nifty souvenir, a t-shirt with a picture of John Wilkes Booth on it. And underneath the the fucking, the weirdest drawing you've ever seen, because he kind of looks like Edgar Allan Poe on the shirt, I'm not going to lie. In real life, too. Yeah. So underneath this drawing of what is definitely actually Edgar Allan Poe, it says, uh, sick Semper Tyrannus, which is the ah. phrase that John Wilkes Booth shouted out when he assassinated President Abraham Lincoln, who, a lot of people don't know this, was a vampire hunter. And John Wilkes Booth <laughs> was one hell of a vampire. I thought you were going to say secret dinosaur, and that's why it was Six Semper Tyrannus. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. He actually said sick, a Semper Tyrannosaurus Tyrannus. <laughs> It means, I believe, uh, death to tyrants. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 it was something that he saw and he was like, oh, man, that ex that exactly explains how I feel right now in this moment. So he bought the T-shirt and then from there, he just, oh, my God, he loved this place. Like if there was anywhere that he, he belonged, it was at the front lines of the protests of the Waco seat. I love how assholes are always just speaking Latin like that's fine. Like that makes them better than you. Like just stop. <laughs> Cut it out. That's a dead language. Cut it out. If I say it in Latin, it means it's more powerful and awesome and it just shows you how smart I am and I'm right. Shut up. I don't care. But quid quistodes ipsos quistodes. Just saying. I don't like Triscuits, but thank you. <laughs> It means who watches the Watchmen. <laughs> Ooh. Like I said, Tim absolutely loved it here. Not only did everyone share his views, but as an army veteran, they saw him as a Gulf War hero that was on their side. And it was also the first time anyone treated him like an actual hero. They put him on a spit, shaved off pieces of his skin, <laughs> and then put it into a pita. Yeah. And they put that, 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 uh, that spicy garlic sauce on it. And they were like, mm, Love it. he good, he good. Mm -hmm. And they sold them at, at, at every food truck in Portland, Oregon, because that's all they have. And I fucking love it. Oh, God, I'm going to eat Mediterranean food today. 
That sounds great. Mm. That does sound really so good. Hungry. A journalism major from a nearby college even asked him for an interview. And that interview got published. And for the first two years, everyone was like, oh, look at that crazy guy and his wild ideas. And then and then eventually a, a writer was like, oops. What a wild thing, right? Like you interview some guy and then later you find out he's one of the deadliest uh, terrorists to ever exist yeah and you're just like look at this nut and then it's like oh no hp lovecraft yeah, exactly. <laughs> they look exactly the same uh if you, I, you posted that picture and i was like whoa yeah i was uh, I, okay so i've been researching timothy mcveigh for like uh several weeks now and just like getting really into his head i know exactly what his face looks like if i had to close my eyes and draw it um, and then to try and take my mind off of it, I watched a story about H.P. Lovecraft and his life and saw a picture and it felt like God was laughing at me. He was like, ah, you're never going to escape this piece of shit because they look exactly I mean, the same. For a hot second, because Dark is back on Netflix for the net new season, I had a moment of I was, I was like, is time travel real? <laughs> Did he go back in time? It's possible. Um, so Tim had finally found his people, people who actually believed him because these were the first people where, when he was like, the government's trying to take our guns, they were like, hell yeah, brother. I fucking hear that, man. I love the shirt. I love the shirt. Love Latin. Dead language. Love it so much. Sick Semper Tyrannosaurus. I love it to death. (laughs) Six Emperor T-Rex, motherfucker. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> after, after only a few days, Timothy had completely embedded himself into the local scene. He even started selling some merchandise of his own, mainly bumper stickers. What did they say? Mm. So he had a few gems like, fear the government that fears your guns. Um, he had another one that said, politicians love gun control. But his personal favorite was a sticker that said, when guns are outlawed, I'll become an outlaw. Bad company! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's my biggest complaint with all of his bumper stickers is that none of them are fun. And it's like, that's what I want. Like, give me a bumper sticker that's like, my other ride is a sexy gun. (laughs) (laughs) If you can read this, the guns fell off. Imagining him on a motorcycle with his gun in lingerie behind him. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot happens. (laughs) Just with a gun with a smiley face. Oh my god. As stupid as these bumper stickers were, they were selling like fucking hotcakes. A few expos even invited him to come sell his his bumper stickers and eventually he was splitting his time between Waco and the gun show circuit Tim was making some serious fucking bank I don't know why everyone loved these these uh these bumper stickers also I'm not reading you all of them there was a bumper sticker that was literally like a man with a gun is a citizen but a man that's government takes his gun is no longer a citizen but instead a slave and I was like how fucking big is your car dude (laughs) too many words wait I've got one I got one my gun is an otter student <laughs> at Bang Bang Elementary. 
Oh my god. Or just, you know, the baby on board ones with just a picture of a gun that just says bang bang on board. <laughs> Straight up, my gun is an honor student at <laughs> at Bang Bang Elementary. I would I want that bumper sticker because it's just it's mwah, it's so good. Mwah. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so good. I love too how he's like, finally. I couldn't get a job with your police, but I am a god amongst bumper stinker entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, he really just is running the most successful racist Etsy store. <laughs> Coexist, but it's just different types of guns. Just different. <laughs> I don't think anyone with guns wants anyone to coexist. No. No, no, no. They want their guns to coexist with us as humans. That makes sense. I dream of a world where assault rifles and handguns can shoot together in peace. Breaking news 2028. America has elected a gun as president. Guns, more guns 2020. <laughs> he has a pretty solid platform, honestly. <laughs> My favorite part is that he really pushes for universal basic health care, um, which is that if you get sick, they just shoot you and then it's over. <laughs> and I really love that. Uh, and he gets to go to Universal Studios. <laughs> so, with a, Despite how much fun he was having on the gun shows selling his fucking stupid bumper stickers, about a month into the siege, he realized something. He wasn't making any real progress. I mean, you could argue that he was spreading awareness, but at this point, everybody knew about Waco and nobody was doing anything. If he was going to stop the ATF from killing the Branch Davidians, he needed to recruit anti-government folks for the cause. And first on his list was his old military buddy, Michael Fortier. Back in the army, Michael had gone on countless rants about how unjust it was that the government outlawed marijuana. So Tim figured he would be a very easy target. Guns, grass, or ass. No one rides for free. <laughs> but things had changed for Michael since he left the military. In the secluded desert of Kingman, Arizona, he was living his dream life. Just like Nate Dogg advised, he was smoking weed every day. Hey, 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 hey. Unfortunately, he was also smoking meth every other day. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Boy, howdy, did he love meth. That's usually how it goes. Most people, I find, love meth. Like, if you try it, yeah. you're probably going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael asked Tim a very important question. Tim hated drugs, but he'd never tried them. Was he just taking the government at their word? He basically kind of <laughs> was making the point that he, Timothy McVeigh was basically just like every liberal trying to take away the guns. He had no idea what it was like to actually use the thing that he hated so very, very much. And for Tim, this was like perfect logic. Like this is the first time Tim was like, hmm, you're on to something, 40A. <laughs> gun I love you but I just feel like there isn't enough variety in our relationship are you ready to open our relationship to meth <laughs> I thought we stopped talking about Tiger King <laughs> <laughs> so this is where our story takes a bit of a weird detour um, after looking up the side effects in the encyclopedia like a true fucking nerd Tim went on a multi-day long bender getting high as shit on crystal meth and then smoking pot whenever he needed to calm down or sleep. 
And ironically, these were some of the funnest days of his entire fucking life. <laughs> we put together like 14 toasters, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're not wrong. He just kept like breaking stuff on purpose just so that he could fix it. Um, he got a permanent marker and he started writing all of the formulas he could remember from physics class on the windows. He cleaned all his guns. <laughs> he bought a bear. <laughs> Uh, also, my favorite part is that at one point, Michael Fortier got engaged and married, and Timothy McVeigh, who was stoned out of his mind on crystal meth, was there to be his fucking best man. Oh, jeez. Uh, but as fun as these times were, once he sobered up, Tim thought the whole trip had been kind of a huge waste of time. I mean, sure, drugs had given him some crazy ideas for some new merch, like... um like an ATF hat with real bullet holes shot into it or uh, a flare gun that he claimed could shoot down a military helicopter. These were just two real ideas of merchandise that Timothy McVeigh started selling at gun shows. This is not a bit. These are real. Oh my God. I mean, at least the dessert dog makes sense. <laughs> exactly. But even though he had these new ideas, he found that Michael Fortier was no closer to joining the fight than he had been before Tim showed up. All Michael wanted to do was just get high every single day. <laughs> Smoke weed every day. So in April of 1993, Tim decides it's time to try and convert somebody a little bit more sympathetic to the cause. His old squad leader, Terry Nichols. Oh, the one who killed that baby. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as you almost undoubtedly remember from last week, because it is a crazy fucking story, Terry left the army so that he could go get his kids back, but instead, he flew to the Philippines and married a 17-year-old, um, and then potentially killed her toddler. But he also bought a big-ass farm in Michigan. So, little column A, little column B, right? Side editor, editor, edit, editor's note, no. He just sucks. <laughs> it's all column shit, by the way. It's just fucking, he's an asshole and I hate him. Oh, so, when Tim got to Terry's place, he was blown away by how good life seemed to be treating his old mentor. He asked Terry how he pulled it off, and the short, balding creep gladly shared his secret. Terry claimed that he had just cut ties with the American government. First, Terry realized that American women had become so radicalized by feminism and the equal rights movement that they were basically just becoming men. So instead, <laughs> so instead Terry flew to the Philippines and found a wife who would wait on him hand and foot. And again, his wife was, you know, a mail order bride who was 17 years old. It's a situation that is wrong for a, a, a take your pick honestly just whatever the first one that pops into your head is is that one next he opened up a ton of credit cards and maxed them all out so that he could liquidate as much of it as possible and he used this large sum of money to buy a new big ass farm but the kicker was he didn't have to pay any of that money back according to terry since the government had decided to move away from using the gold standard money had become worthless additionally credit is just hypothetical money which again 
is worthless. So these two unshakable facts meant that, technically speaking, Terry Nichols didn't owe anyone jack shit. That's not how that works. Yeah, the the banks also disagreed with his methods, and they sent him a bunch of bills, warnings, and then overdue statements. And Terry just kind of let them pile up. And one time he even sent them a handwritten note for something he called a certificate of credit. And the bank was like, um, this is fake. And Terry was like, so is credit. And then the bank got the courts involved. And in retaliation, Terry just straight up renounced his American citizenship. What? <laughs> Sovereign citizen? Yep. Oh, man. To most of us, this sounds completely insane because it it is. It is completely insane. But to Timothy McVeigh, who was wearing a hat with actual bullet holes in it and had uh, remember, he just came off like a month long meth bender. uh, (laughs) It made the most sense out of anything (laughs) he'd ever heard before. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, these guys have the worst drug ideas. (laughs) And the surprises just kept coming. Tim had come to Michigan to recruit Terry, but it turns out Terry wanted to recruit him. It's actually kind of sweet when you think about it, when they're both like, at the same time, they're like, hey, um, I know this is wild, but like, do you want to overthrow the government in a systematic and awful (laughs) attack? Oh my God. (laughs) I had no idea you felt this way, but I feel like we're soulmates. I feel like we're already finishing each other's plans of terrorism. (laughs) We're just two dogs on either side of a spaghetti noodle making this shit work. And Timothy McVeigh's like, what do you mean by noodle? Who told you that, huh? (laughs) What have you heard? You've been going to Burger King? Burger King been talking? (laughs) Don't you disrespect the king. (laughs) The kid, excuse me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. So not only had Terry seen the signs of the incoming quote unquote racial apocalypse, uh, but he too had been preparing for the fight just in a very different kind of way because Terry Nichols had an actual plan. He was going to drive right up to the compound's front gate and demand that the ATF cease their unjust persecution. And if they refused, Terry had a trick up his sleeve because he had mastered the art of making homemade bombs out of household chemicals and plastic jugs. Oh my God. Uh. Tim was astounded. Terry had come up with an actual plan and had learned actual skills all while he was out in Arizona smoking meth and shooting hats. Somehow he (laughs) thought that fucking selling bumper stickers made a difference, but now he realized he had been so fucking stupid. But now he felt like he was on the right path. He had a plan and it was time to take action. It was time to stop the incoming quote unquote racial apocalypse. I know I keep saying it. It's because it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. (laughs) But on the day before they were planning to hit the road, something happened. Tim was outside working on his car when he heard a commotion coming from Terry's farmhouse. He jumped up, ran inside, and found his mentor staring at the television with a look of horror on his face. It was April 19th, 1993, the day the ATF decided to push forward. They used tanks, tear gas, and eventually a fire broke out and brought the whole compound to the ground. And Tim was heartbroken. 
He believed that he had seen these tactics used before, not only in Kuwait, where he used them to fight untrained and disorganized Iraqi soldiers, but also last summer in 1992 when the ATF slowly wiped out the Weaver family in Ruby Ridge. Suddenly, the gravity of the situation started setting in. This wasn't just an isolated incident. It was part of a pattern. In his mind, the siege at Waco was America publicly declaring war on its own citizens. He had failed. The last seal before the quote-unquote racial apocalypse had just been broken. After the events at Waco, Tim tried to go back to normal, or at least whatever his weird version of normal was. He had found a good life for himself in the gun show circuit because he was surrounded by guns and gun enthusiasts and he loved every single fucking second about it. I can't, he was so happy to be at these sweaty fucking angry Comic-Con is basically what yeah, it is. Yeah, like angry Comic-Con. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should say angrier Comic-Con, really. But after everything that had happened to him, it, it didn't, it just didn't feel right. Because he truly believed that it was only a matter of time before the government came for his and the rest of everyone's guns. He pointed to the Brady Bill that passed in November of 1993 and the assault rifle ban in 1994 as proof, but still no one, not even his trusted gun nut friends, seemed to believe him. In order to wake people up, Timothy decides to write some literature of his own. In 1994, when he was 26, he started visiting military bases and taking pictures of their armories. He tried to point out that the government was being hypocritical because they could stockpile weapons, but suddenly we couldn't stockpile weapons. And my argument against that is that you are not a military force, you dumb, dense motherfucker. I don't, I, ugh, okay, I'm sorry. I get that we. We all agree, but I don't even understand his logic. Also, I mean, I think if if Waco shows anything, it's that even your biggest stockpile as an individual is no match for the government. You're you're bringing one gun to a drone fight, like it's it's yeah exactly. And there can be a greater conversation about you know de-escalating the amount of weapons that the government has but that's a completely different thing there are no g real good guys here i mean there's a few scattered throughout but really it's just everyone kind of sucks ass honestly Eventually, some of Tim's writings took on a more sinister tone. He did some digging and found the name, phone number, and address of the ATF agent that shot and killed Mama Weaver in Ruby Ridge. He started handing out this info on business cards, and every time he did, he would say shit like, It only takes one patriot. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, don't get me wrong, what happened to um, the Weaver family is horrific, but more murder doesn't bring people back. It's... Oof. Thankfully, we are not the only ones who thought that he was fucking crazy. Because most big gun shows had a new, strict, no-politics rule. Because, especially after they found out that there were undercover cops lurking around looking for the next Randy Weaver. But politics was all Timothy wanted to talk about. And again, that's politics in quotation marks because his quote-unquote politics um, was just hate, really. 
Anyone who got within earshot could hear Tim ranting and raving about the government's plan to create a new world order and how a war had been declared on our own citizens and how everyone had to prepare for combat. But really, he was just making everyone super uncomfortable. So sometime in July of 1994, he was actually banned from a large number of gun expos. He could still go where, you know, the anti-government sentiment was strong, places like Texas, Florida, or Arizona, but honestly, who wanted to go to any of those states? I mean, some of those states have exceptions like... Um, like Arizona, Like duh. Arizona, Austin, Texas, and that's it. Florida can go fuck I'll, itself. I'll be real. The, the last few times I've been to just Texas in general, I've had a lovely time. <laughs> Disagree with their politics sometimes, but overall, their queso is delicious. In At, at least in Timothy's mind, there was like a real, real problem going on. And he seemed to be the only one willing to do anything to fix it. So he decides that if the gun nuts are too afraid to take action, he's going to be brave enough to set an example. It was his turn to strike back. The only question was how would he do it? He started by writing a handful of angry letters to the ATF, calling them all types of awful names like murderers and terrorists and even stormtroopers <laughs> i want you guys to know that timothy mcveigh in all er <laughs> in complete earnest called the atf stormtroopers and motherfuckers in like the same sentence i mean i love that although stormtroopers in star wars are named after stormtroopers in world war ii so i mean it kind of i mean He's still wrong, but you know. Yeah, I would. I'm not saying that you're saying this, but I I would think that you, a normal person might think that uh, he was talking about Nazis and comparing them to so. But he also compares them to the Empire and called Bill Clinton <laughs> Chancellor Palpatine. So like he was definitely that's crazy. Palpatine doesn't play the saxophone. <laughs> Well, spoiler alert, I don't know if you saw the last Star Wars movie, but just like Bill Clinton, Palpatine definitely be fucking. <laughs> That's, yeah. I would love to hear the Star Wars theme only played by Kenny G on the saxophone. Ooh. <laughs> 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 yeah so he great. starts out by writing all of these angry angry letters and then he considers planning the systematic assassination of every single federal agent but he kind of decides that would probably be too hard and so he becomes the goldilocks of three terrorism plots he was like well this one's not strong enough this one's too strong <laughs> but then one day he found inspiration in the pages of his favorite book. When Earl Turner and his elite group of rebels decided to strike back, they came up with the perfect plan. They stole a truck, turned it into a makeshift bomb, parked it outside of the FBI headquarters, and took out their opposition with one highly organized attack. Not only would it be symbolic, but Tim already had most of the things he needed to pull it off including a master at making homemade bombs. After all this time, he felt like he was truly on his way to becoming a hero. Even though Timothy McVeigh got the idea from the Turner Diaries, the specific details of the attack were his own personal touch. The siege at Waco had been America's declaration of war, and his counterstrike would double as revenge for the Branch Davidians. For the date, 
he chose the two-year anniversary of the day Mount Carmel burned to the ground. For the target, he chose a building where he believed some of the ATF agents involved had offices. Tim and Terry Nichols turned a Ryder rental truck into a supercharged bomb using tons of stolen explosives and about 5,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate and nitromethane. They built it to be as volatile as humanly possible. At 9.02 a.m. on April 19, 1995, a large explosion destroyed the north half of the Alfred P. Murrah Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The attack killed 168 innocent people, including 19 children. Just like he planned, Timothy made his way on foot to a nearby getaway car, a 1977 Mercury Marquis with the New York plates removed. He hopped in the driver's seat, put it in drive, and headed home. But soon, he saw a pair of flashing lights in his rearview mirror. Tim got pulled over by an Oklahoma State trooper because he had taken off his plates and there had just been a <laughs> fucking bombing. And a state trooper was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and check that out. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Good job, state trooper. Yeah. And when he found out that Timothy McVeigh had a handgun, he asked to see his Oklahoma firearms license, a thing that Timothy McVeigh didn't have. And so the state trooper had no choice but to take Timothy into custody. And it took authorities just three days to figure out who they had arrested. Timothy was sure that either Terry or Michael had ratted him out because otherwise there was no way the FBI could see through his master plan. But it turns out the police found him pretty easily on their own because Tim wasn't as smart as he thought he was. As he drove the Ryder truck to Oklahoma City, he had stayed in a motel where he gave his real name. And to their surprise, when they looked him up, they found out that he had already been arrested. And when the FBI agents got to his jail cell, they found a skinny, noodly nerd wearing a stupid shirt with John Wilkes Booth printed on it. As Timothy answered their questions, they quickly realized what had happened. He was an angry man living in a delusional fantasy where all his problems were the government's fault. He truly believed that history would remember him as a hero. And I'm here to tell you, it super did not. As he was put to death by lethal injection on June 11th, 2001, six years after committing the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in modern American history, Timothy McVeigh was finally forced to see himself the way the rest of us do. The military had passed new laws specifically aimed at stopping him from being buried in an army veteran's cemetery. Instead, his body would be cremated and given to his lawyer because no one else wanted his remains. When his father found out his son was going to be put to death, he was sitting in his living room watching TV, and his initial reaction was to just go outside and mow his lawn like it was any other day. Even Timothy's own community abandoned him. The rebels and racists he had once looked up to denounced his actions. Or worse, they made up conspiracy theories about how he was in cahoots with President Bill Clinton. In the end, it seems everyone saw Tim as a villain. The revolution never began. In fact, the gruesome act only seemed to humanize the government. 
Because now when people thought about ATF agents, they thought about the lifeless bodies of the 149 adults and 19 children that he killed. In his last moments, Timothy McVeigh was faced with the realization. He was about to die a failure. And that brings us to the end of our series on Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, that I I remember seeing a clip of the footage of them taking the the children's body bags out Mm -hmm. and it you just you can't look at that and ever think that he did anything good you know for a fact that he was able to realize that he was definitely a failure and that nobody i mean nobody was on his side and that makes me happy knowing that he died realizing that he was a fucking piece of garbage which I get is very intense, but I just, um, I, I, if you think I'm being a little, uh, a little extra, I would, I would uh, urge you to spend three plus weeks reading nothing except for shit about the Oklahoma City bombing. I, it hurt my brain. It physically yeah. hurt my brain. I'm sure you know with with Waco and and every time we have to, you know, cover these groups, it's just so fucking brutal yeah i mean reading armando just reading one page of the turner diaries is so upsetting i can't imagine having to read the whole book and i know that he did it for research purposes but we've talked about this on the podcast before the mental toll of reading hatred all the time does start to kind of eat away at your psyche and sense of self and it can be very emotionally exhausting so him reading this whole book multiple times to to cover these white supremacists is hard it sucks yeah i'm also going to tell you this um the worst thing is when you're writing the very sad and somber ending of the the third episode of the oklahoma city bombing where you do have to cover this terrible event and then slowly but surely you realize oh my god i'm so fucking high (laughs) that's what you had that's what you had to finish your outline today yeah i didn't again i didn't i I finished it but i read through parts of it and was like all right i don't understand this this doesn't make sense there's also some stuff i didn't get to put in like um i'm just gonna throw this out there uh but right before Right before the, the, the plan went off, Terry Nichols, who had helped Timothy basically set the whole bomb up, put everything together. At the last second, Terry tried to bail, and Timothy believed Terry didn't want to help because he found out that Timothy had fucked his wife. What? Whoa, what? Yeah, dude. According to Timothy, when he was staying at, with them at the farm, uh, he fucked Terry Nichols's Filipino wife. Um, and when she was asked about this later, her response was, and I quote, mm, I don't think so. What? <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, as in she doesn't think that's why he wanted to leave the plan or she doesn't think that she and Noodle fucked? Because I feel like I would remember if I fucked a Noodle. <laughs> I th- I think she was saying that she can't, she doesn't think that she fucked Timothy McVeigh, but I'm on her side. All white dudes look exactly the same to me. That's true. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I was pretty sure I was fucking HP Lovecraft. <laughs> oh my God. Well, uh thank you for for being a part of this uh thank you for letting me explain this um i tried to make them as fun as possible which is again very hard given the subject matter 
But really, all we wanted to do here was kind of cover how this group, this movement, this ideology, they can take even the smartest, most average-ass American and turn them into something truly awful. I think it's important to remember that these things don't happen in a vacuum. Like, I think that's my favorite is like Waco didn't just happen because it was Waco. It happened because there was a whole bunch of other stuff going on and they're part of a bigger story. Yeah. And I mean, as you've definitely seen here today, Timothy McVeigh very much ignored the the other facts behind it. Like none of his stuff uh, at all revolved around how uh, David Koresh was handling the situation or even what he was doing that warranted that. Because again, as we covered, one of the big reasons they finally started to take action was because of all of the abuse towards children. But in Timothy's mind, he was like, nope, only guns. That's it. They made up everything else. It's just about the gun. Well, he's, he just... Timothy McVeigh had a fear and the fear was America's going to take my guns and I won't be able to do anything about it. And so every threat that he saw was that threat, regardless of facts, regardless of what else was really going on. That's the threat he saw because that's the fear that he had as ridiculous as it was. Yeah. I also, um, I don't know if y'all knew this or not, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't think we've ever truly talked about it before, but you know how currently, uh, a lot of, uh, white conspiracy theorists spread their message through YouTube documentaries. Well, this is actually a long-standing tradition only, and again, this is not a bit, before there was YouTube, they did it through VHS tapes that they would just kind of share between them. Uh, and so part of Timothy McVeigh's actual trial defense was them trying to play this this documentary <laughs> about how Waco was an inside job. So here's here's the crazy thing. That documentary, the the one that was on the videotape, persists. Yeah. It is on YouTube. Yeah. You can go watch it now. And it is, I would say, the source for many misconceptions about the raid on Waco and I, I feel like one of those one of the things about it is like the raid is bad like the ATF did the wrong thing the FBI did the wrong thing you can find fault with it all day long but that documentary goes to conspiracy levels of weirdness um, I chose not to include it, uh, because it's madness. I don't blame um, you because then you'd have to fucking watch it. <laughs> I, yeah, I it was, it's a very tough watch. Um, I started trying to watch it about two nights ago and I, I swear to God, like I have so much tolerance for bullshit. I watched six hours of happy science anime. I could not get through seven minutes of this stupid fucking video. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where podcasts in the past have used it when they talk about Waco and I think in large part just because it wasn't for a long time it was the only documentary you know for a long time people didn't speak out and for a long time the government didn't talk about what really happened and so I think that left an opening for misinformation and I feel like that's a lot of what we see today where everyone has a different view of what happened because no one really came out with the information they had at the time one of the big things in that that waco documentary the the early one they claim 
that ATF agents were shooting people as they tried to escape. That's the big, big claim in that documentary. And the reason that it really villainized the ATF in an already bad situation, because like the things that they actually did are bad enough. But then to have it be like, oh, no, they shot people as they tried to escape. Now we have more footage, more things have been released and we can see that that's not the case. Um, but things like that color the perspective of people like Timothy McVeigh and cause them to take these grand actions that killed even more people. Yeah, and that, and that was one of the reasons why we covered so extensively his time in war. Because remember, Timothy McVeigh had been ordered to shoot at people who were fleeing. Yeah, They were trying to surrender, they were trying to retreat, and they were shot. So when he hears stuff like this, that's why it makes so much sense to him. Because he, or at least, you know, in his own words. I, I'm not making any excuses for this asshole. Well, he thinks that the things that he did to people in Iraq are, as a mili- like as a member of the United States military, are things that are being propagated on its own citizens. And that's his concern. And the things that he saw in war, when he sees parallels here, he's like, oh my God, the government's going to kill all of us. Yes, but at a, to a certain extent, I need you to understand that Timothy McVeigh didn't, didn't necessarily fully believe that in the way of like he says a lot of shit that's supposed to emotionally tug on your heartstrings where you're like oh my god this man did these horrible things in uh, in kuwait um and it's like completely unforgivable that the government made him do this uh but at the same time he fucking relished in it he wanted to call a shit bad company because he wanted to be like uh, a, a, a vietnam soldier you know like he he watched Rambo. He knew what people were doing. He was like, I want to do that. And he did. And later he tried to craft a narrative that would make you sympathize with him. Um, and he does a really good job because again, remember he's kind of a genius. Like he's really, really smart. I, th- I think I'm going to say this episode uh, today is brought to you by um, hats with bullet holes in them. Hey, <laughs> Are you on meth? Hey, do you do you, do you own a flare gun? Uh, then this hat might be for you. It's the perfect way to keep the rain off your head, but also let a little bit of it in. You know, it's good for you. Just a little bit of stuff coming through the hat. Yeah, you, you'll get gunshot residue in your hair and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then if you ever commit a murder, they're going to say you, your head shot the gun because it has yeah. the residue all over. I've seen... Law and Order. I've seen CSI. Um, in reality, uh, although we will be selling cult podcast hats with bullet holes in them <laughs> on our store, um, go to cultpodcastshow.com slash bullet hole hat. Uh, <laughs> in reality, our show is actually sponsored by our wonderful, amazing Patreon donors. <laughs> and this week, our episode is brought to you in part by Murph the Murphy. And they say... Would I be able to use my shout out to call on people to look into their state's flag and call them out where there is legitimate concern like Mississippi or Georgia's? Right now, Mississippi is getting body slammed while Georgia is getting a pass. And while getting body slammed, Mississippi is trying its best to be better. Thanks. I know this seems like it's coming out of left field, but I care about Mississippi and just want others to know that they're 
that they aren't this racist state in the South, but are a very welcoming community that most don't get to see. And that's where my family is from, and the state as a whole is trying its best to change for the better. They just do it differently. He is actually working to change the Mississippi flag. So I don't know if you've ever seen Mississippi's flag. Uh, it's bad. Yeah. It's real bad. It's, <laughs> it's one of the most obvious bad ones. It's I would the say French that. flag with a Confederate stamp on it, essentially, yes. is what it is. And it's just like, what are you doing, Mississippi? Cut it out. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so he's actually been trying to lead the charge to get a new flag and a flag that is more representative of Mississippi's more diverse heritage. And uh, the government in Mississippi is actually about to vote on changing the flag, I believe. So it's very likely that it'll happen. And they're looking at designs now. Didn't didn't you get asked to design a new design for the Mississippi flag? Yeah, this listener actually asked me to help him design a new Mississippi flag. He has a pretty good idea, I think. So I'm just going to kind of whip that up on Illustrator and see what's good. But if you're an artist and you also want to put forth a new possible design for the Mississippi flag, um, think of something that's inclusive and not the Confederate flag. Oh, yeah, and also, bro. check out your own flag. Like, California's got it easy where we're just racist against bears. But like... Yeah. We're trying to become Arizona. There you go. Your flag might be a little more questionable. A lot of those flags have been around a long time, and there's no reason they can't change for the better. So check out your state's flag and see what's good. Barifornia, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's just parts of Hollywood. Um, <laughs> specifically Santa Monica between La-, La Cienega and Doheny. I don't feel like a lot of people are talking about this, but one of the worst flags that I've seen, one of the most like out there flags that I can't believe still exists. Have you guys seen this Confederate flag? It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> My favorite is are the have you seen the memes where they show the actual Confederate flags and how yeah. the modern one was only adopted after the war? was over so it's just purely racist as shit oh yeah i um uh, uh i've been uh putting together a uh a speculation zone episode on the um on the the birth of the confederate flag because it's a lot weirder and a lot stupider than you think i'm excited it's very funny and i'm so excited to do that that episode uh but secondly i do want to i don't know if i've ever talked about this maybe i haven't i don't think mississippi is a is a wholly racist state because that's where my family comes from fucking hattiesburg mississippi dog that's what's up bro i've never been but i watch an hgtv show about a town there and it makes me want to go it's a it's a really beautiful place uh where my family is from is very white leaning because remember i am half white but uh uh i loved mississippi i, I loved going there when i was a kid i loved it so much i love it now and uh i mean andre and i there's a reason that we went down to the south for thanksgiving for our first like big vacation together is because my family's from the south and i love the south god damn it it's amazing which half <laughs> technically both sides of my family are from the south one is just a little further south no i, I meant physically <laughs> what half oh yeah a lot of people don't know this but um the from the waist down i'm white you know what I mean? <laughs> Noodle dick. No comment. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, anyway, man. if you um, want to send me uh, a new flag, I mean, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say this. 2020, all states get a new flag. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to design a new flag for your state uh, based on whatever you think the current culture is going on. Like for California, uh, we don't get a flag. We just have a TikTok. So uh it's a, just a tiktok video of uh of somebody uh, vaping a jewel and going yeah i'm just like really working on myself right now and that's our flag that's our new flag and i love it <laughs> i've got like three screenplays but also i've been doing some modeling and like i i ba- basically i'm an influencer so that's what that's what i want so much uh if you could do that send that to me on twitter and instagram at Mondo does stuff. That's M A N D O does stuff. Yeah. If you want to send me a reimagined California state flag that's just uh, a weed leaf and a bong holding hands and skipping over a rainbow, I'd love to see it. Oh, that's um, my tramp stamp. Have you not seen <laughs> it? I was going to say, I think that's a little more of a Colorado flag. Oh, my bad. Sure. My bad. Yeah, if you want to reimagine your state's flag as something fun and delightful instead of the mildly to very racist thing that it might be, I'd love to see it, honestly. Uh, send that to me on all the things at Sundress Comic or at Andre Gazetta on Instagram. I would also love to see your flag designs, obviously. Uh, I'd like to see flag designs for like combo states. Like if states had to team up and make some sort of state dream team, what would their combined flag look like? Also, uh, I've got a Zoom show coming up on Wednesday. Uh, I will post links to that in the Facebook group and on Instagram. Uh, it, you know, it'll be fun. I'll be there, so it'll be fun. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Paige Wesley or on Instagram at Rampage Wesley. Are you seriously going to fucking skip past the part where you you invented state marriage and we're not right? just going to break it down like right? the best thing ever? Well, here's my thing is I'm like, America's a giant country and it's very difficult to serve that many people adequately because people have different needs and different cultures. So what if we all grab like a state buddy and we become 20 small countries? Who's your state buddy? And what would your state buddy flag be? And who's the top? Oh, man, you do they have to be next to each other? Because no. honestly, if I'm if I'm <laughs> really don't. thinking about it, I'm going California, Wisconsin. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Or what about California, Michigan or not? Not Michigan, uh, Minnesota, California, Minnesota would be a fun team up. I'd love it that way that your mom could travel and not have to get an international passport. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Or I would go. Uh, I'll go California, Louisiana. Get both LA's Ooh, in the mix. Ooh, I like that. I, I do like love that me a some lot. Louisiana. Our maiden uh, import is gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna um, say uh, Oregon, Texas. Ooh, that's pretty good. I right? like this idea. I love this idea of combined states. Hear me out. New York, Georgia. I feel like you have to pair like a southern state with a non-southern state so that the, it's like, hey. 
Okay, buddy. Oh yeah, Let's that's bring right. You we along. can't. We can't let the southern states get married again. I forgot that was a whole. Yeah, thing. yeah. yeah. That, but that's what I'm saying. You got, you got a buddy. <laughs> you got different skills. You're gonna make it work. I guess they didn't think of the secession as state marriage, but I guess that is just and state polygamy. We we can use this to punish other states. Like if you think Connecticut's getting too uppity, congratulations. Now you've got Arkansas, and you can't make fun of them anymore. Yeah. Arkansas, you forgot we existed, didn't you? <laughs> Here's the thing: just like real marriage, their their uh, slogan at the the pulpit is just, uh, "I really just wanted to marry someone that makes me a little bit better every day." There you go. Who? What states do you think would make other states better? No state is perfect. Who's your friend? Who's your friend that's going to make you better? I just can't wait for the end of the movie where our Kansas takes off their glasses and they've been beautiful this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, I I feel like if you don't live in Arkansas, I also just called it our Kansas. I realized if you don't, uh, if you don't live in Arkansas, you probably just straight up forget that Arkansas exists (laughs) until somebody brings it up for some reason. I hear it's got good barbecue and like it's, you know, not too far from Kansas City, and we like that part of the country. Hear me out, though. Idaho, Mexico. Let's get weird with it. Ooh. <laughs> I think the important part is that um, it means that you get a house in both. That's very, Ooh. very important. Yep, 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 I think yep, that'd yep, be yep. difficult for some states, but okay. Yeah, especially California. California is going to have to marry like Utah just for the sake of space. Ooh. Um, and that's going to fuck. That's going to be California good. California and Utah would be a weird mix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our greatest vices are all the things they can't have. <laughs> like cocaine coffee and fun (laughs) can you guys have avocados damn it we didn't want to share that one (laughs) um if you like our show uh you can follow us on instagram at cult podcast or on twitter at cult podcast show you can also send us an email with um, a state flag or your favorite combination of states getting married together um you can send that to cult podcast show at gmail.com If you want to send us an actual flag for anything except the Confederate Army or the KKK, those are the two you can't send us. But if you want to send us an actual flag of something not racist, you can send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, like Like the the shining. shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And I think for this one, I'm going to say don't drink the pickle juice of hatred right god gross yeah remember when the worst thing about him was how he drank pickle juice remember that five minutes of our lives (laughs) i do i do and don't drink the kool-aid bye